No, it's in like a lion, out like a lamb. No, it goes out like a lamb. It's it because the weather. Ugh. Oh. oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano again here on our LTP's Off Road. Another great episode for you with the great George Caldwell, pianist extraordinaire, composer, arranger. Man, this guy's got a lot of irons in the fire. George Caldwell is here today to talk to us about his career, his upbringing, and everything, and I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. We had a great time talking about things. And of course, I have a surprise guest for you as well. A surprise guest who's going to come up first here with us. The surprise guest is Kyle Locanti. Everybody loves Kyle Locanti. She's going to talk to us about one of her favorite shows ever. Here on RLTP's Off Road. So let's start things off with. No, 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 not yet. Who's controlling this thing? Oh, I am. Yeah, well, we'll have more on that later. Here's Kyle, here on Off Road. Welcoming Kyle to the Off Road One Question Quickie. And. <laughs> That doesn't sound right. That's it. I'm, I'm still still debating what to call this segment. One two Q. One question quickie. Or one Q. One. One two Q. One two Q. Two Q. One two Q. Yeah, that yeah. might be too clever by half. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what we wanted to ask you is, you know, tell us about your favorite. Well, I guess it would be a, a directing or. You know, you participated in other roles for sure. I first met you when you were a sure. brilliant stage manager. So you can pick either one, but tell me your favorite. Well, I would say directing. Clearly, I have a few shows that are on that sort of top list and mm -hmm. and actually is one of them that you were in when I was a stage manager. So oh, that nice. would be um, that would be, you know, shows I've worked on. Um, and I'm referring to the Midsummer Night's Dream in 2003. And, and for the same reason that I that that's at the top of my list, my I guess all time favorite as a director would be um, a few years ago I did a show over a toy called Stella Luna, hmm. and the reason both of those stay right at the top of my list is that thing you hear all the time talking about theater as a collaborative art, and it's just those are two examples in my experience where the stars aligned. Everything was right. And that goes right, right straight through from a, a, a beautiful story, a, a wonderful cast, a design team that takes your sort of kernel of, of an idea and runs with it and makes the whole so much better than the sum of the parts. They mm. bring every facet of those productions. And speaking specifically about Stella Luna, it was a beautiful children's book, is a beautiful children's book and the script and score, it was a musical, are far less than beautiful. They, it, they were very, very difficult and, and for some probably pretty legitimate reasons. It was clear after a, a quick read through that English wasn't the first language of the person writing the script. Oh, yeah. So there was a lot of um, like syntax that was just kind of weird. And then we had to decide well, that's what's on the page, you know. Mm. Do we honor what's on the page or do we make it make sense? <laughs> exactly. And then the score, I haven't done a lot of 
musical theater professionally, but I did a lot when I was out at the college. And so, you know, I'm, I work with scores all the time in those days. And this particular score had not been kind of edited. It looked like somebody wrote it, but then nobody went back and rechecked it. Mm. Did the score match what was happening in the script? No, the answer was no, it did not. And did, were the notes even logical or right? No. And, and so fortunately I had Keith Ersing, that was my musical director and yeah, he's terrific. he was just brilliant. He, I, I would, I would work with him again on anything, anytime, anywhere. He was, he dug in and he had five beautiful singers to work with the, the five women that were, that were in the play. And they made the most fabulously hauntingly beautiful music out of a score that, mm, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't look so good on paper. So, and then the great amount of care given to the puppets, because not only did these women have to sing and move beautifully and say lines and everything, they were operating puppets. And I'm telling you that none of us were puppeteers. So, you know, we're all kind of flying by the seat of our pants and Adam Krutinger of course. built the puppets. And then he came in, but he was so great about listening and responding to suggestions or responses and then helping us figure out how to even be puppeteers while they're singing and dancing and prancing all over this multi-level beautiful terrain that Ken Shaw as the as the both costume and scenic designer you can't ask for a better team than that (laughs) and after the first reading of the script and sort of trying to plow through the score I thought oh lord what what have we gotten ourselves into here And as the pieces fell together, every aspect that got sort of woven into the collaboration, I was just completely blown away every time. And I kept thinking, oh my Lord, this is gonna be lovely. This is just going to be stunning or beautiful or you know funny or enchanting or whatever. And and that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes you have a great story, but, you know, maybe you weren't able to cast the exactly right crew or vice versa, or design elements didn't come together. That was one case where truly the stars aligned. It was beautiful. As we all know that theater is a collaboration. You have you have set designers and costume designers and lighting designers and sound designers, and you put them all together. Everybody contributes, and then director sort of makes decisions. But in this case, the end product was better than the sum of its parts. Was it also a, a surprise? I guess in a way, it was a little bit of a surprise, but it was the way we got there that I think makes it a favorite. Not that it turned out lovely because mm-hmm. you know I've, I feel like there have been other plays that I've been as pleased with the final product but the process and working with those specifically those five women the five women that that we ended up using in the play became this this wonderful little kind of coven that it just they truly forged themselves into something that I rarely see in a process. Kyle, thanks so much for joining me today. Sure. It was great fun. I appreciate it though. Good talking to you. I hope you have a good day, dear. Bye-bye. Take care. So everybody's favorite, Kyle Locanti. It's one of those people in the Buffalo theater community that when they say, well, you'll be working with Kyle Locanti, you go, okay, 
I'm in. Count me in. Not everybody's like that. And I suspect I might be one of the other people. So that's another story. Okay, George Caldwell coming up for you now. George, he's a, he's a jazz musician. He's a classical pianist. He's a jazz pianist. He has his own combo. He's played on all sorts of musical recordings with, with Dizzy Gillespie and, and, uh, and Count Basie. I, there's a whole list I could name it forever. And, and, and he's got a Grammy Award. He's got a Grammy Award. How many people do you know have a Grammy Award? Yeah, that's right. George Caldwell, he teaches right now. He's teaching jazz piano at UB as well. So here's George to tell you all about himself. Hey, listen, before anything, before we start anything, I should ask you, uh, did you win any more Grammys last night? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> I, I saw a video from it, though. I mean, I didn't watch him, but... Uh, I didn't either. I, I tend to... I record uh, all awards shows I record, and oh, then I just okay. I just watch them, because you can zip just, yeah, to, yeah. You know, just to the performances, yeah. or if you find out the next day that, you know, somebody yeah. was streaking on stage or something, you can go search that out. <laughs> well, listen, welcome. It's it's good to see you again. It's nice to talk yeah. to you. I, yes. I was so looking forward to this, because I have so many questions for you about, you know, where you right. came from, because I don't know if I just if I just fell asleep for a few years or something, <laughs> but all of a sudden there you were and like playing everywhere. And of course this is pre COVID, but I mean, yes. there you were and you were like, well, I, to, to coin a crazy phrase, you were like world famous in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh-huh. I thought, where did, where did this guy? And, and then of course with, with Connie and who, who I've met, known for years. And I thought, where, where did this guy come from? So first of all, let me just tell people who don't know that you are a jazz pianist and composer and arranger extraordinaire. You have been working with so many familiar, I'll drop a few names in case you don't want to, but I mean, the Count Basie Orchestra and Dizzy Gillespie, and I mean, Quincy Jones, George Benson, all of these people. And then yeah. somehow, somehow you end up being a famous jazz pianist locally in buffalo because i know you're not a local kid <laughs> i mean no, i know you're you're no, from down I'm, south i'm from way down south man i'm from mississippi you're from mississippi clark's yeah, from the delta yeah delta clarksdale mississippi because i did a little research and i said to myself i i gotta find out more about about <laughs> this guy but you know what Let, let's start right there tell us a little bit about your childhood you you grew up in the well, mississippi delta area you said well, yeah, I was born in Clarkdale, Mississippi. We stayed there until I was about four years old. And my dad was teaching at the junior college. Mm-hmm. Junior college. Well, Coahoma is the county. And it's one of those Choctaw names. And now was your dad a musician as well? Yes. He's, he's the reason I'm in the, as they say, as Richard Pryor would say, that's the reason I'm in the position I'm in today. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Because my dad had a love of music. He yeah. loved music, you yeah. know, and uh, to the point where he taught me the Moonlight Sonata movement, you know, the first one that everybody hears uh, to the Moonlight Sonata by putting my little hands on the piano and going, do like this and do like this and do like this. Yeah. He was teaching chemistry, physics, and math. Oh, wow. And then he went to, they, we moved when I was about around four to Augusta, Georgia. And then we, he taught at another uh, historically black college, uh, mm-hmm. Payne College. 
And then we moved to Holly Springs, Mississippi. Wow. So just to get back to your dad for a second, George. Yeah. So he was not a music teacher, though. Or no. was he doing was he doing less? Was he just a lover of music? Well, I, my, I think my dad, my dad used to be a musician. But your dad was teaching chemistry. And, yeah. and yeah. Uh, so he wasn't. Uh, the, the first thing you said to me was that he was teaching at a college. Yeah. And I thought, well, he was he music. was obviously teaching music, but yeah. he wasn't. Yeah. You you picked up on music through his love of it and yeah. through his teaching you <laughs> put yeah. your fingers here and put your yeah. fingers there. I guess yeah, I just made the assumption that you yeah. followed in his his professorial yeah. footsteps for lack of a better thing. So yeah. did you actually take formal lessons? I finally did when we got to Holly Spring. The, uh, we were taking the tour of the uh, school, St. Mary's School. So then they took us to the old building, and that's where all the music, the band, uh, all that stuff, all that kind of stuff was. Sister Mary Nell asked me at whatever we were talking about. I don't remember, but I remember she asked me, she said, she said would you like to, to take piano lessons like that? I looked at my dad like, what? how could she know something like that? You know, or, or, <laughs> and more like, can I? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and he just went like that. Yeah. You know, and I was like, yes, ma'am. You know, <laughs> you think maybe he slipped her a little uh, information. Now, George plays a little piano at home. Yeah, probably. Maybe, maybe. Uh, probably yeah. So piano was like your first love right from the beginning. You didn't start yeah. out on guitar or. My dad bought a, a used piano, which was a, one of those old, it was an upright, I guess they would call it a, an upright grand now because it was one of those really tall, yes. old carved pianos, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it cost him like $50 or something. <laughs> and uh, I mean, but it had the old ivory keys and it used to be a player piano, but they had taken the mechanism out. I got you. So I it had you. this thing in the middle, you could slide the doors closed, you know. And the, the, lacquer, was all, the lacquer was all cracked, you know, had lines and you know that, like that. But it yeah. did the job. It did the job, yeah. <laughs> did you, yeah. You, have, you have siblings? Did you have an other family? Yes, my sister is, my sister and I started taking piano the same, at the same time. Okay. I think the piano lessons were 50 cents each mm -hmm. with, with Sister Mary now. Okay. And no she, wonder you had to ask permission. Yeah. Yet, this is gonna yes. be a buck, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we, we started, and my brothers already were playing clarinet and saxophone in this little school band that we had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, well, school orchestra, we had violins, like maybe four violins and you know, like that. <laughs> the whole family was, did your mom play anything? No, no. Nope. She just was no. a, a, she was just a fan, I'm sure. Yeah. She yeah, got to listen to it all. <laughs> going back to now, going back to Augusta, Georgia, mm -hmm. that's when I began to be aware of stuff I realized that he he had a gig playing piano. No, no. By that time, he was playing trumpet. Oh. During that period. Well, he, oh, listen. He played piano, trumpet, the mellophone, which is like a, a baritone horn, you know, and I uh, played guitar. He, See, he was, now that's he was a, deeply into it. That's, that's why I reacted with such surprise, because it's one thing to go from keyboards uh, yeah. to to even guitar because you yeah. follow but then you start playing trumpet and you're talking yeah. about you know the embouchure and the and th that sort <laughs> right. of thing a buddy of mine Pete yeah. Sorello has a big band and he plays trumpet there's a, just a huge difference and it's b flat and you're thinking what 
What do you mean? It's every key. The piano is every key. Yeah, yeah, right. So for your dad to play uh, different instruments, he must have have been uh, trained then. Yeah, well, you know, I, I gathered that back in the in the, those days kind of it seemed like adults didn't want to talk about that stuff too much what what mm-hmm. happened in their lives yeah I, I don't know why that was maybe i think it was because their life was hard things were tough yeah and they did fine you know we were we were very poor but but all of our needs were always taken care of mm-hmm. and we all knew that our parents loved us and that they loved each other Mm-hmm. We had we were lucky, man. Really, like tightly knit family, and we we still are, you know. Well, that's great. That's great. So, so but you must you must have done pretty successfully in your piano classes with the with the good sister. Yeah, I did. I um, advanced quickly, and one time I went to a piano lesson, and she said, "You know, I can't teach you anymore." And I thought I had done something really bad. <laughs> I really did. I, yeah. And I was like, oh, no. You know, and then she was, she was, uh, she said, and I, we're going to find you somebody, uh, a new teacher, is what she said. Somebody, mm-hmm. she said, you know, uh, just about everything that I know. You can do everything that I've, I, I have to teach you. And she was good, uh, good enough. And there was a, there was an organization called the Lynx. Have you ever heard of them? No. It's an organization of, I don't know if they're still exclusively black, but they used to be. It, it was a black women's organization, mm-hmm. and they they raised money and funded promising young black people. Is that spelled L I N K S or is it yes. L Y or something? Yes, L I N K S, as in this. Yeah, yeah. to link. Yes, yeah. very nice. So, so they hooked me up. <laughs> they, <laughs> they hooked me up with this. I had to aud- play an audition in um, Memphis. We drove from Holly Springs to Memphis. This house, we th- I thought it was a mansion where where this this mm-hmm. couple lived, and uh, <laughs> this a white couple who were very much into helping helping you know, out. Yeah. yeah, you know, giving For, back, forming links. Yes, that's great. And, so, and Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, I, I don't know what they did. I remember her face because she was the more interactive, you know, talking to me. And I was, I was so shy; it was hard for me to talk to people. I, they started paying for me to take lessons at the university, which was Memphis State University. It's called the University of Memphis now. Were you still in elementary school? No, I, by this time, I was. I, this was when I was a sophomore in high school. In high school, okay. I skipped a grade, you know, in, in elementary school, and I was, I was like a... You were a little advanced, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so you started taking lessons from a college yeah. uh, a professor? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. who was one of the, the great influences on my life and my sister's life. We, we, both, we both loved, everybody loved this guy. Everybody mm-hmm. to study with him. And Stossball, Russell Wilson is, uh, well, he may be, I think he retired, but he was teaching at uh, the University of Virginia at Richmond. Still, I was strictly classical. Uh, oh, is that I right? Mean, my dad and I, from him, I got the, the method that jazz pianists, like kind of a, a basic method that the, how they play that Latin, that Latin, the bossa nova feel. The rhythm, And the yeah. way he played it was... I remember I could I remember his hands on the keys showing me and I remember I remember the feel of it when he played it and he also showed me how to do like when Errol Garner plays those melodies mm-hmm. in chords yes 
I still remember East of the Sun and West of the West Moon. West of the Moon. Yeah, and he played it like that. And I remember wow. his, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a great memory. And, and right. to have that kind of a background. So now you're, you're still in high school, but you're taking, yeah. you're taking lessons from yes. this, this piano man. And, and then, so at, at a certain point, did you decide to go to college for music yes. or, or did you just go into college as a nope. sort of a liberal arts and, and we'll see what happens? I went in. I went in for music. I, I, I almost I almost majored in biology and I almost majored in chemistry, but I ended up going in music. Was that Memphis uh, State? Yes. Well, yes. because I'm, I mean, I've, I've, I had done these tests, you know, I scored high on the SATs, mm -hmm. and then I also did the national merit. Yes. Yeah. So I was a finalist in that. So okay. I got a lot of scholarships. Oh, that's great. That's yes. great. I know you had a you went to Oberlin as well, mm -hmm. correct? Did yeah. you, and you went there on a full music scholarship? Yes. Did you also go to Memphis on a music scholarship, or was that no, just a ge no, I general went on an scholarship? Academic scholarship. Academic. I started in 1967. I was real young. I was 16 when I started. Wow. So, and I'd never been anywhere. I'd never been on my own, you know. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like very straight laced for the first two years, and then I started. Oh, people are dancing. What's going? For those girls over there wow you know <laughs> took me you know but i was i was very shy though so yes. that was that was my big yeah but a young man of 16 you're noticing the girls for sure peter peter <laughs> yes hormones are popping <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about I <laughs> so from memphis so i i dropped out i dropped out right before my my junior year Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and that was so much civil rights, all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I think I went through a depression during that time, just because so many, you know, then that was the first time, I guess, in my lifetime that, that it seemed that it was, the system was being challenged on, on racial assumptions on a large scale and people were just, they weren't like, I'm gonna brush on. They were just like, no, it's not right. Mm -hmm. And we're just, you know. Yeah, back, you know, back in the late it, 60s. Yeah, it was just like, it seemed more reasoned to me because I mean, naturally people, if you grew over people for a really long time, they're gonna be really mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's institutionalized. So in addition to just, confronting it, but it takes some thought to even get your head around it, mm -hmm. you know, because it's, it's, it's so deeply ingrained. Yes, in it system. is. Yeah. And, and I think what you're, what you're saying here is that when larger numbers of people, well, well, we've seen it ourselves yes. uh, during, during the last, uh, last Last uh, twelve months. <laughs> yeah, we won't get into it, but the, yeah. those things there, people. I hate to use the expression "woke," but uh, the people mm -hmm. who are marching are not just marching out of anger; they're marching yeah. out of yeah. Hey, this yeah. this just this is not this, this is right. incorrect. Yeah, this is incorrect. <laughs> Y'all are barking up the incorrect tree. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you go to Oberlin and and you you graduate from so, there with a. A bachelor in music and piano performance, correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, yeah. I get just a brief word about the interim. I worked for about five years. I see. You know, I was a burger, uh, burger joint, uh, gas station, Seven mm -hmm. Eleven. You know, all that kind of stuff. I even quit taking piano. I quit playing piano pretty much. Oh no. For, well, I was, I was just 
wandering around lost. Yeah, it was that time. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who was next kind of big influence on my life was a guy named Keith Kennedy, who taught theater at Memphis State. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had gone in to audition for hair when that came to Memphis. I wanted to be the piano player, but Keith's wife was the music director and she always played piano she, when she music when she had that position. Sure. So then they said, well, why don't you play percussion? So I, would, I just wanted to be a part of it. So I did yes. it. So fast forward all those years while I was working and I, he bailed me out of my lost life by, by saying, why don't you do, be a musical director for this? So uh, he, he was doing a show, oh, uh, Joan Littlewood's music review from the 1920s called, Oh, What a Lovely War. And I said, no, I can't do it. He said, why not? I said, well, I've never done anything like that before. He said, well, you read music, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, you can teach other people music, can't you? I said, yeah, I guess, you know. He said, well, and I, so I said, well, if you're, if what, knowing what you know about me. Were you interested in, in the theater? I mean, here you are, a shy kid. Why yeah. did you want to get involved in any kind of theater? Did you just want to be part of something? Or well, did you want was, to be behind the scenes? I was involved in theater, theater since I was four years old, man. Oh, I was, well, I did, uh, we skipped over that. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we used to do plays at, at uh, St. Mary's. So you just, you were involved in actual performance actually being out in front of a, of a crowd yeah. although that's that's not unusual for people who are generally shy they yeah. you know you you have the opportunity to yeah. be a different person on the stage yeah. you know yeah. I, I i should know so <laughs> I, I just wondered whether this all of a sudden you said you know i think i'd like to get a shot at at doing some theatrical performances it it was in your blood for a long time yeah but you know i, I was a snob i was mm -hmm. a snob Yes. I have to say, there was a general feeling in uh, at the Memphis State Music Department that they were the real musicians, and those guys over there, well, you know, they kind of they have a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, kind of like were the, that. you were legit. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so I was drinking the Kool Aid, <laughs> and then when I did hair, yeah, I understood something about that. That that's just that's the music department's problem, because this is well, I, I I believe that the 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 mission of art, as much as self-expression, it should be to communicate and to, well, the the theater emerged out of the church, I believe. Yes. So it it has to me it has a, well I'll put it this way, it and what I what I eventually I got hired by the Count Basie Orchestra. And I knew this in my mind. Well, now, George, we skipped over something kind of important. You, all of a sudden, you all of a sudden you're in the Count Basie Orchestra. How'd that happen? Okay, so I graduated from Oberlin, '76. I had to go a little extra long because they didn't take all my credits from Memphis State. Because Memphis State, where is that thing? What? <laughs> what was that name again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was the name of that kid who came through here? Can't seem yeah. to find it. So, yeah. So, anyway, so I, I I tried to learn how to play jazz music because my dad always played it around the house. Mm -hmm. And I was familiar with Basie, Ellington, Oscar Peterson, uh, Jimmy Smith was the big sensation, Wes Montgomery on the guitar, yes. and then Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, all those guys, they were still around. Well, yes. Charlie Parker wasn't. Yes. But Dizzy Gillespie, my best friend at Memphis State was a 
great clarinetist and flautist named Rudy Garner. His father was a jazz pianist, a recognized jazz pianist. I'm trying to do it really quick in Memphis. <laughs> and um, so I'm away from home and Rudy lives at home. So sometimes he would invite me over to eat and stuff like that. So I met his dad and his his brothers and sisters. But he, but he would always have me play, and I would always play a classical piece, put some Bach or whatever. And then he would say, you ever think about playing jazz? And I would say, oh, no, sir, I could never do that. I was also drinking that Kool-Aid. <laughs> well, because you were legit. Well, I was trying to study it. Uh, my, my friend Rudy's dad bought a house and made a school out of it. And oh. myself and his son Robert and his son Pee were the first students that were there. And uh, we didn't get charged anything for them, but we had to kind of clean up around the place and wash the clothes, you know, all that. Sure, kind of sure. Stuff. And they, we got free lessons. So, and, and I learned how to play chords and I could feel the time, but I just couldn't figure out how to solo. Oh. I, I start playing notes and, they, and they'd they be going, yeah, yeah, now you're doing it. And then, but it was like, in my mind, I was just playing a bunch of notes and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I tried for a long time and then I quit. And that was when I quit playing piano. I mean, not long after that, but a lot of things, you know, Dr. King got killed, uh, Mitch, Medgar Evers had gotten killed, all these those students, uh, the three students, the four girls had been bombed in the at church Birmingham. Yep, yep. and i was you know being a close family sometimes when i was home i would go visit my brother who was in school in birmingham and he took me by the church i saw the church hmm. in person that's 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 life-changing that is that is life you know and i can see why you would get why you would be emotionally drained by that yeah you know by that whole yeah. atmosphere at that time yeah. and and then say to yourself, you know, why bother? What? what you well, know? Uh, yeah. Who wants to? Who wants to even live in a world like this? You right. Know? Right. Right. And then Vietnam. I mean, there was so much stuff. And I, w I got involved in those marches in Memphis and stuff. You know, the marching with school-related things. But that yes. was like out in the world, big, you know, or something to me. Right. You Plus, know. you were also a little bit younger than everybody else in your yeah. in your class as well, and yeah. and so that's that's rough. I mean, that's yeah. Right. And so here I am after school. We we my mentor Keith Kennedy summoned me back to to write a jazz musical based on the cartoon strip The Wizard of Id. So we did it, and it came out really good. I thought, and uh, and then we we did it at Memphis State, and then we did it at the the uh, professional theater, the equity house there. Mm -hmm. And through our relation to, through Kennedy's relationship with the people who wrote Hair and produced it, mm -hmm. we got an, uh, an audition, myself and Kennedy and uh, another, this other friend of mine, we went there and I played piano and me and Joe sang the songs for Michael Butler, who was the producer of Hair, Nat Shapiro, who was another big Broadway producer, Craig Zayden, who was Joe Papp. Joe Papp, sure. Yeah, the public. Craig Zayden was his first in command after, you know. And they were like, yes, we want to do this. So we, we got in touch with Johnny Hart, who was fine with us doing it at the little theater in Memphis and, and at Memphis State. But then when these people started talking about it, then he just disappeared off the planet. We couldn't get him on the phone anymore. 
Huh. He would not talk to us about the rights. Oh. He just, it's like a door closed or something. I bet. Yeah. And then years later, when I, I, I mean, a few years later, when I was working in the USO, I was overseas in Turkey and I read the Stars and Stripes, you know, the, the military newspaper. Yep. And Paul Williams has signed, uh, signed to do The Wizard of Ed on Broadway. Paul Williams, the composer, singer, yeah. really? So somebody like Paul Williams was okay to do it. Oh, <laughs> I see. Bumpkins from Memphis, oh, no, no way, you know. That's right, the bumpkins. So, um, but then after that, I'm just playing around town, and I'm, I, I'm you know, and I'm, if a theater show comes up where I do it, like we did a show based on all Stevie Wonder music and kind of based on that that song, Living for the City, you know, boy, it's a every man. Oh, I love that song, yeah. Similarly, that one was hugely successful. Yes. And then, uh, after a while, I, because at Oberlin, I went back to studying jazz because that's why I was going to say one of, the, one of the greatest teachers in my life, besides my father, was a guy named Wendell Logan. And he, he single-handedly <laughs> started and... Uh, continued the jazz program there until they got a jazz major. And then he had a very profound effect upon me. He was a, a just, he was no, no pretensions, you know, mm -hmm. he, he wouldn't, I, we called him Mr. Logan for so long. And he was like, no, man, I told you, just call me Wendell. <laughs> and then, uh, and after a while he wore me down, you know, cause I'm where I come from. People with respect. With respect, you give them yes. Their respect. Yeah, you yes, yes. Respect. Yeah. So somewhere, you got into the Count Basie Orchestra. <laughs> I started playing again, playing, playing piano, playing piano. And when I got back to Memphis, I got, I was, I was on the jazz scene. Wendell got got me over the hump of not being able to solo, and it might have just been just the sheer fear of soloing. Mm -hmm. But for me. I'm I'm the kind of guy that if I don't have anything really to say, I generally won't say much, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you had Charlie Parker, Bird, who's playing these solos with the notes all over the place, and they're just Charlie up Parker, and down. Yeah. And Parker, yeah, yeah, Bird, yeah, Bird, yeah. Charlie yeah. Parker. When you hear that, you got to be thinking, well, where are these notes coming from? And and yeah, he's all over the, he's yeah. all over the, you know, the. Yeah. So yeah, I can see how there would be a little fear attached to, yeah. you know, yeah. soloing yeah. in that sense. In they that could. Sense. It seemed like they could play in all the keys, and, and even though I know what they were doing, it sounded great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but to be able that's to do for that. them. That's not for you. That's yeah, what you're yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then finally, did you did you get to audition yeah. for Count Basie? Or well, well, I, what I did was I was I was working in Memphis, and uh, that show. The Stevie Wonder show, we called it Inner Wonder. Mm -hmm. There was a saxophonist and virtuoso alto clarinet flute. He's still around. He's, he's actually from the Buffalo area. His name is Bill Easley. He's from Olean, but he used to play at the Colored Musicians Place here. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he played in that show. And he, I, I wrote the, uh, most of the arrangements in that. Afterwards, he said, you know, he said, you sound good, man. He said, these really sound good. And coming from Bill Easley. Sure. So Easley left. I mean, he played with Isaac Hayes' band. And he, he played like all around in the Memphis area. He was, and then he went to New York and got the gig with, with the Ellington Orchestra. Mm -hmm. 
Ellington Orchestra was doing the uh, Ellington musical Sophisticated Ladies, yes. which is just a musical review, right, on Broadway at the time. And then they went out on the road, and the guy who was playing piano and conducting, Leonard Oxley, was out there for a while, and then he either sensed the end coming, <laughs> oh dear, or he got another offer which he knew was going to run longer. Probably both. Yeah. So <laughs> he was like, "I, I think I'm going to take this offer. It's, it's a really good one, you know." And mm -hmm. uh, he let it. He to to some certain people in the band, he was like, "Yeah, I'm thinking about leaving. Y'all know anybody to call?" And Bill easily goes, "Call George Caldwell." Ah. And so. He called me, that's a funny story. Uh, Mercer, who was conducting the auction, uh, Duke's son, mm -hmm. uh, called me. I was going, I was headed up to get something to eat with some of the guys from the band. So I was kind of rushing a little bit. And he was like, hello, is this, this George Caldwell? And I said, yes, yes it is. You know, and he goes, you play piano? Yeah, is it that George Caldwell? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You know, and I, I want to be out of the door. I don't know who this is, right? No. Then he goes, the George Caldwell, like that. <laughs> and I'm then I'm like, all right, who is this? Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm thinking it's somebody I know. Sure. And I just, I'm not recognizing the, their voice. I'm like, who is this? And then there, uh, then he goes, it's Mercer Ellington. And I said, I said, yeah, you know. Yeah, sure it is. And I, I come on, like, who who is it? Who is it? I got to, I have to leave. Who is this? You got to tell me who. And they kept on not, you know, saying, "No, I'm Mercer Ellington. No, for real." And I was just like, <laughs> "Click." I oh no! <laughs> and then I went up and met the guys and ate. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the next day, Bill Easley called me and he said, "Oh no!" He said, "Did Mercer call you?" <laughs> and I just went. <laughs> Somebody's saying he was Mercer called oh. me, but I. I never thought. Wow. Uh, and he, and, but anyway, he said, he said, oh, okay. He said, I just, I wonder what happened. He said, so let me tell Mercer what's going on, and he'll probably call you back. And he did. And I apologize. I'm like, oh, so sorry, Mr. Ellington. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but he he has to get that a lot. I mean, yeah. any anytime he called, you, you know, you he put those that name together with the with the Ellington Orchestra, of course, and you're yeah. thinking. Yeah, no way this guy is calling. But you yeah. are the George Caldwell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrific. So he hired me. Mm -hmm. I played with him. They sent me the, sc the score. Yes. And then he sent me a tape of Leonard Oxley playing it. So I tried to play it like him. Yeah, he tried to emulate and, his and style. So that yeah. when I came in, everybody, I mean, all these old... Ellington, Ellingtonian hard, like, you know, they've been in the band for years. And <laughs> All those other, you know, they've been in the Basie band. It's like their era. They were like, we didn't have to get used to anything. Like, you came Right. In. They were expecting to hear it the way yeah. they yeah. heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, so. don't, you young whippersnapper, don't come in here and go changing things around. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't, I don't think that. But they were surprised because then it was, they were surprised that it wasn't difficult. My my to pick up with, you. with the band. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I purposely wanted to do that because first of all, I wanted to know what he was playing and know how to play those things. You, know? you were and learning, then, sure. Yeah. I was learning. So I was just whatever I could get, I just soaked it in, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I got out of the band. 
And then I was just working around New York. I did some shows because easily insisted that I go to, to, he was like, if you're going to be living, if you're going to be living in New York, you're going to have to play a lot of different, different kinds of music. Uh-huh. You know, that's what, that's what a lot of these guys don't know. If you go down to and, and you can read and you play Broadway tunes, that's like having a job at the bank. <laughs> well, that's good I mean, advice, though. You know, his, his his usual kind of sarcastic, funny self. <laughs> Not no no real sarcasm though. It's just funny, you know. Yeah. It's funny. And uh, so I did, and I start. I got some shows, and then uh, I met Frank Foster because I was also working in little groups around the town, around New York. Frank Foster came and sat in with us, and it was embarrassing because he asked me if I if I knew his very famous tune, Shiny Stockings, and I said, I said I don't really I, I know it, but I I can't, you know I I don't know it like I said I said but I have a I have a, a real book here and I can read it, and then he was like, which is you know, that's where the old guys were. It, it, you're supposed to know that not only know the music, but you're supposed to know the lyrics oh. because you want to know the intent of the composer, all that. You want to know the whole story so that you can effectively tell that story. Tell the story. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah, I, oh, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. You got to know your lines, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. And you have to know everybody else's too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know what the intent is. Right. Right. Yeah. You got to know that, that, invisible communication you got to know those lines man that's right when we stopped playing he said yeah you sound really good you know and i was so embarrassed at, at my ignorance yeah. that i i i was just i don't know stewing in my own juices you know and i thought he was just saying yeah you know you sound all right you know <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said you know i like i like to play with you sometimes like you could be in my band sometime oh and i was like Oh, thank you, Mr. Foster. And I thought he was just trying to make me not feel bad about it. Sure, sure. But then uh, about three to four, it might have been three and change, but about four years later, he called me and said, you want to play in the Count Basie Orchestra? And I was like, clunk, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. That, that, yeah. Man, you've got some great stories. <laughs> oh, man, well, thank you. Thank you. But you know what? We we really need to talk about how you ended up here in Buffalo because, okay. as I said, all of a sudden, this guy is uh, world famous in Buffalo. So yeah. I, and don't tell me it was just com you were just coming to UB to, to teach. No, no. Okay, well, then let's hear it. Okay, there's a, uh, one of the shows that I, I toured in regional theater for years and then ended up doing it here at the musical fair is a show called Cooking at the Cookery, which is oh. the life story of Alberta Hunt. Yes, yes. There but that is. was just up recently. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was, oh. I, I did it. Oh, and, and well, no, no, I know you so, did it recently, but but that's not yeah. how you arrived in Buffalo, is it? Yes, yes, <gasps> because I this the guy that wrote it, mm -hmm. there's a guy named Danny Holgate who was a you know, a black, a Broadway musical director. He called me because his piano player quit playing the show, that show in, at the Delaware Theater in uh, Wilmington. Okay. In 2000 or something like that. Anyway, so I went down there. He, he picked me up at my apartment and uh, he gave me a copy of the show to look at. And he was like, what does this look like? And I was like, oh, you know, it looks good. Anyway, so, so we're driving down. I'm looking at the score. We're talking about it. 
And it's just two women. I don't know if you've, you've seen it. With Zoe. Zoe Scruggs was in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the original cast was Deborah Hardin as the young Alberta. Yes. And Anne Ducanet as the old Alberta. Mm. <laughs> that was that show. I'm telling you, man. Fantastic. Huh? It was powerful. It was a very powerful Wow, it was really something, man. I, and and I had I had no expectation. I didn't even know what I didn't even know who Alberta Hunter was. And how did that get you to Buffalo, though? Okay, so we went on tour with yeah. we were on tour. We went to uh, Delaware Theater Company in Wilmington. We went to uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, which is where we were when nine eleven happened. Okay. And uh, we we skipped a day, but then and we, and, and uh, Marion Caffey is the is the playwright. He was going to just like forget about the tour for a while after that. But then he had a he had a moment that night which said, really, this is when people need something like that. Sure. Yeah. So we go to our respective sides of the bandstand and then uh, he goes like this and then we all go out. And uh, as we're walking out, they lowered the lights in the auditorium, you know, in the in the venue and sure. bring up the lights on the bandstand. But you can still see, you know, a few rows of people. You look out in the audience and they people look like this. Oh yeah. I mean, not you know, they're just blank or or yes. you know, tired or you know, <laughs> aggravated by their, you know, husbands or their, you know, their kids or whatever. Right, right. right. And so and then Frank goes, one, two, one, two, three, four, bang, we start playing. And this is what happens to those faces. They're just like, and they go. Uh, they break out into the smiles. I, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. yeah. But but that's, that's if you look at that in a, in a real sense, Peter, that's what doctors want to do. That's what psychiatrists want to do. That's what architects want to do. That's what chemists want to do. That's everybody wants to bring that, you know what I mean? That yes. human communication and that. Yeah. You want to bring some joy to yeah, somebody you, yeah. somehow. Yeah, yeah. Somehow. Yeah, so right. again, how do we get to Buffalo? So <laughs> the show, um, Jiva Theater in uh, Rochester, Rochester, and mm -hmm. uh, Studio Arena do a co-pro, co-production. Okay. Okay. So we went to we went to Jiva first, then we came here, and uh, I met my wife because she was doing the uh, marketing, you know, publicity yes, that stuff. Studio. And then you said, "Here's a beautiful woman. I'm going to stick around in this city." <laughs> no, we, we, we stayed. We, we had. We were very respectful of Connie. She had this demeanor. <laughs> she still does. <laughs> yes, well, that's right. All BS stops here. Yep. Yep. You know, I like to have fun. I'm. I'm a really. She's really warm, but she's. Her BS detector is like. <laughs> Very sensitive, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's like one to 100, it's about 796. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Connie I know. Yeah. So, so but you're, you're playing uh, uh, Cooking at the Cookery. Yeah. For the co-production? Yes. The co-production. That was around what year, roughly? 2001. Oh, oh, it was the same year as the 9 -11. Yeah, it was after, after. 9-11, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, after yeah. Lowell, Massachusetts. So then, uh, and then later I went back to, back to New York, and then she came to New York. Then one thing led to another. Yes, one thing led to another. Next thing I was, next thing I knew, I was saying, "Oh no, you don't have to come to New York because <laughs> you're you're 
she grew up here and they knows everybody everybody her knows roots. Her. yeah her roots are like, here. for me doing what i do it doesn't too much matter where i live i mean if i leaving new york i won't i won't be able to make those where people say oh i got a, i got a gig tonight can you can you make it right right there just yeah. aren't enough jazz gigs going on in buffalo even before covid there, just <laughs> wasn't, there aren't enough people who I mean, I know I know a few jazz musicians, and as I told yeah. you, a buddy of mine runs a big band. But there aren't enough of those places, of those venues, that can yeah. hire and and have yeah. live music. So, and then you, the UB thing started. How did that yeah. happen? Well, I we we were playing here, and a UB professor, mm -hmm. John Nelson, okay, Juilliard trained trumpet player, and you know, yes, great great guy, great musician. He and his, well, their exes now, they were married then. They've been looking for, they were going to start a place where, where an art house where you can have art paintings, you can have music, and you can have a glass of wine and maybe a bite to eat, like like light stuff, a sandwich or a... Was this the pausa? That's it. Uh, yeah, I've been there. And they drove by this house. And I, I, know, I knew the house because the house had been kind of just sitting there. And it was not looking in too good a shape. And she a said, let's go, let's go in there. So they went in there and she said, this is it. And he agreed. They designed it. It doesn't look like it's much designed, but they, they, it's, it's for the music. The sound in the room is oh. really good. Mm -hmm. um, they have a, she always say, she always says it's a, there's a, a no talking policy, you know, like they do. In, oh, I know. Yeah, but, and I love but, that about the place. I love that because I hate when I go someplace and there's <laughs> nobody's, pay, you know, I played rock and roll years ago and it was oh, yeah. just like people screaming at each other yeah. and throwing yeah. beers and, yeah. you know, so I just, it drives me nuts and I'm always the yeah. one to applaud too because I hate when the music ends and people are just, so I love that about the Pausa House that when they go there, they say, look, when the music starts, we ask you to just suspend your conversation for yeah. a little while yeah. and that's that's great uh, i've had yeah. i've been there a couple of times i played so long in the, in jazz clubs which are the same oh it's the same you know, yeah it's the so, same thing so it didn't i guess it it didn't bother me so much i i always feel like as long as people keep it way down i mm -hmm. i rather that people could communicate if they want to well a little bit but that yeah. tends to they get carried away <laughs> and then as the music gets louder they have to get louder to be heard yeah, yeah, and the music yeah. they have to get a little yeah, yeah, louder right? <laughs> it's a competition it's a competition yeah <laughs> all my all the people on the schools where on the you know colleges where i went they all except for oberlin they all would say music education they advised me all my advisors said oh music education which probably was smart but i i really didn't want to teach i wanted to play i was yeah i was like you're a performer <laughs> you know yeah, i hear you so years later when they when john nelson had this place and then uh dave chavon who was the jazz guy before me mm -hmm. was leaving he said he said he just called me up and said do you because we, we had been playing at their club that's how we met. I see. I had just tried to, I had just had an interview at the University of Manitoba where a friend of mine uh, teaches trumpet there and jazz improvisation. I see. And um, I didn't get the gig. And then so, and I, I was like, well, I guess I'll just be gigging around, you know, mm -hmm. going out on the road like I'm, I'm used to doing. And then uh, so, uh, John asked me that and I said, oh, I'll try it, you know, because I, I realized that um, I wanted, I, I actually wanted to try that, try teaching it. 
-hmm. because all of my major influences were teachers. My dad, Keith yes. Kennedy, Wendell Logan, my piano teacher at, uh, at Memphis State. What you're doing is you're paying it forward. Yeah. You wanted to start teaching because exactly. you wanted to inspire exactly. the next group. Yeah. That, that's what that's yeah. all about. Yeah. That's great. Hey, George, let me ask you one last question that okay. I ask. Uh, I've called this my off-road question. Okay. And if you had taken a different road, if you had not followed your heart into music, where mm. do you think you would have gone? What road might you have taken instead of music? Well, I was I was strongly drawn to biology. Yes. Yeah. So the sciences. Yeah. But, but I was also, I, I, I got my highest scores in English. No kidding. On, on tests. Yeah. Like I, I would get like near perfect. Wow. You know, That's, yeah. Yeah. listen, this has been a great conversation, George. Thank you so much. Uh, I learned yeah. so much about, about your life and, uh, and, and just about, uh, we had a lot of fun things to talk about. Yeah. I want uh, to ask you some stuff. <laughs> well, you can ask me. I won't put it on the podcast, but okay. uh, so if you want to ask anything, go ahead. I'll just, well, I'm going to edit it out anyways. Ever, did you ever think about teaching? I did teach. I taught English. Really? I taught English, high school English for 32 years. Oh. I did not. Uh, you know what? I didn't go into school for drama. I, I didn't, I didn't do anything with theater. I, I became an actor and a performer very late in life when I was about 27 years old and I had already been teaching for four years. Well, well. But you you came to it and you you know you brought your you brought your heart to it. You know? I did, and I brought the perform. You know, I was a performing teacher. Yeah, <laughs> I was jumping on chairs and anything. Yeah. To get there, anything. To, you know, you know what ruined education for all of us was Sesame Street, because they taught kids that education should be about bells ringing and colors going off. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right, eight, right. nine, ten. You know, yeah, and like, those oh, of us who were just, oh, oh, yeah, count. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, and all the rest of us, all the rest of us who were yeah. just hardworking schlubs, we yeah. had to go in there and try to be as entertaining as Sesame Street. Yeah. And it was a tough slog, I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, give my love to Connie and uh, the best of luck. I can't wait until I can get out and see live music again. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure you can't, I can't wait till I can, I, I can get out and play it and also to see live theater. I feel I've said this to everybody. You know what happened after the huge pandemic in 1919, the roaring 20s? When people ah. just went crazy and had fun, I'm looking forward to this next Roaring Twenties yeah. being just as much fun. Yeah, me too, man. So me you too. take care of yourself, George. It was great right. talking to you today. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure, man. My, my pleasure. So long, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. No, it's not a penny saved is worth two in the bush. It's a penny saved is a penny earned. It's a, a bird in hand. Oh, never mind. George Caldwell, what an interesting guy, huh? If nothing else, I am meeting fascinating people here on RLTP's Off-Road. And... Oh, there it is again. The ticking clock... The beat moving on, added a little guitar this time. It's just a little different uh, internal theme music for a project we've got coming up in the summer. And it has to do with the passage of time and, and the beat going on. And 
you're interested, just pay close attention to every podcast. I'll give you more and more hints. But it's going to be great. I hope. But in the meantime, we will be back in a couple of weeks with another great interview with another Buffalo luminary, someone who you'll want to hear all about. And I hope that I can, through that interview, enlighten you and bring happiness to the world as we await the opening of all borders and all doors of opportunity for many people. See you in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm.